historic weekend no matter what happens training standards will, will increase expectations will, in, will increase I just I, I couldn't I just can't go against Ballyhale the club championship show subscribe to the GEA podcast feed on the OTB sports app now the news round on off the ball with Gillette put your best face forward with our new and improved razors this is news talk all right, you're welcome along. It's Thursdays off the ball. Nathan with you until 10 o'clock this evening. we got a cracking show lined up. Sonny Bill Williams, one of the few men to have won two Rugby World Cups with the All Blacks in 2011 and 2015. A real superstar of, well, Rugby Union, Rugby League, and hoping to become that in boxing as well. And he's going the right way about it. He's been in Dublin for the last few weeks training with Andy Lee. And Sonny Bill Williams is going to join us on the show to talk about all of that after 8 o'clock. And John Giles, half past seven, as always. A lot going on in football this week with the Champions League. He'll give us his thoughts on that. Uh, Europa League tonight, where, just to bring up to date, uh, Rangers away to Borussia Dortmund. Rangers leading by four goals to one in the Europa League. Uh, Celtic in action in the Conference League in a little while. And we are on the eve of the League of Ireland season. And we're going to have loads of build-up to that with Stewie Byrne and Dan McDonald in studio after 9 o'clock. We'll hear from Damien Dove, from Stephen Bradley, uh, from lots of others besides. So give us your thoughts on that to 53106 or at Off The Ball on Twitter. Richie McCormick, good evening. Nathan, how are you? I'm all right. Joe Malloy, how are you? Great, lads, how are you? So uh, the latest episode of Golf Weekly is up right now and it is well worth a listen because it has been a crazy old day, to put it mildly, in the world of golf. Uh, Richie, I'm sure you're aware uh, golf is in a funny spot at the moment around its future and the future of the PGA Tour and the European Tour because Saudi Arabia and a huge amount of Saudi Arabian money is lurking for golfers. They are looking to set up their own rival to the PGA Tour and this has been spoken about constantly over the last couple of years with everybody a little bit wary as to how much truth there was in it, whether the players would actually ever leave the PGA Tour in reality despite what they were being offered, would they be allowed to play majors, any of that. But it does now all feel like it's going to come to a head over the next few weeks, despite the fact that Rory McIlroy, Tiger Woods, most of the best young players in the world have said, no, we're staying with the PGA Tour no matter what is offered. But certain players such as Bryson DeChambeau, Phil Mickelson, Ian Poulter, Lee Westwood have all expressed an interest, mostly players who are sort of mid to late 40s who are being offered, frankly, obscene amounts of money to up and leave. So 28, 30, 40, 50 million up front to go and join this new tour that we don't know a huge amount about, Joe. There's, it's gone in with the Asian tour to give it some legitimacy. Recently yeah. announced they were going to play some events in Europe, play some an event in England, not for massive money. Though again, as the news continues to flow out, there's talk that they're going to play a lot of events in the USA as well, where the real money will be made. So Phil Mickelson has sort of been front and centre around all of this and using it as a real leverage to get the PGA Tour to give more to the players. Remember, we're talking about the most pampered sports people in the world right here. We're not talking about uh, guys who are on the breadline. Like They're playing for 10, 12 million on an average week on the PGA Tour. The Players' Championship, 20 million. The PIP, which is money for nothing for the best players, is 40 million a year spread between essentially the 10 most famous players on tour. It is nothing but cash, cash, cash and more cash. And still they want more. So Phil Mickelson has been in and around all of this and has definitely let his name be very much associated with it without fully committing. 
and he did an interview today. We were just in the middle of recording Golf Weekly when this interview with Alan Shipnock, who's a very respected American golf journalist, had just sent out a tweet saying that the Saudis were waiting to get 20 golfers on board before making an announcement. They have 20, and they're going to make an announcement next month at the Players' Championship, which is the uh, standout event for the PGA Tour season, but also released uh, an article from a book he's doing, an unauthorised biography of Phil Mickelson. Phil, the rip-roaring and unauthorised biography of golf's most colourful superstar. And just put out a little excerpt, and I'm going to read you a bit of this, Richie. Okay. So Mickelson uh, told Alan Shipnuck that he had enlisted three other top players about moving to this new tour. He didn't pretend to be excited about hitching his fortunes to Saudi Arabia, admitting the SGL was nothing more than what he called sports-washing by a brutally repressive regime. And this is in quotes from Phil Mickelson. They're scary mother to get involved with. We know they kill Khashoggi and have a horrible record in human rights. They execute people over there for being gay. Knowing all this, why would I consider it? Because this is a a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to reshape how the PGA Tour operates. They've been able to get by with manipulative, coercive, strong-arm tactics because we, the players, had no recourse. Wow. Jeez. Wow. Uh, that, took, that took a turn. Um, How does Phil Mickelson uh, come back from that? I don't think he's concerned about how he comes back from it. He's clearly pretty entrenched in his uh, in his views, which, um, yeah, if <laughs> to uh, conflate the so-called strong-arm tactics of, of Jay Moran and uh, the, the PGA Tour and the brutal murder of Jamal Khashoggi and the oppression of minorities in Saudi Arabia is um, that's quite something that is quite something and that pretty much tells you all you need to know about Phil Mickelson up here I'm really shocked Joe but when I read these quotes from Phil Mickelson I, I was gasping going how how could he allow this to be published now Alan Shipnuck has a long relationship with Phil Mickelson and he did say that at no stage did Mickelson say this was off the record. But at the same time, I'm not quite sure Phil Mickelson thought it was going to be appear in the way that it has. But it does seem as though this is exactly what Phil Mickelson said. And you know, we spoke about this a lot a couple of weeks ago when golf was in Saudi Arabia and there was that line of we're not politicians and almost a sense from the golfers trying to portray themselves as oblivious to what was happening in Saudi Arabia, yet here we have Phil Mickelson clearly stating, I know exactly, I am more than aware of everything that goes on, but I'm willing to use that. I'm willing to use that to just get a bit more cash from me from the PGA Tour. Hmm. Yeah, I suspect Alan Shipnuck's getting a phone call from Phil Mickelson today is the honest truth. So Shipnuck has written the unauthorized biography, as you said. Unauthorized biographies are always the best kind. And he was saying this phone call happened before Christmas. He knows that, uh, well, Mickelson knows that Shipnuck's writing this book, that Shipnuck says in this piece he's conducted 200 interviews and that, you know, this uh, flirtation with the Saudis is one of the more controversial aspects of Phil Mickelson's career. And Mickelson knows that. So the way Shipnuck paints it in the piece today is, well, Mickelson couldn't help but give me his side of it. Now... The way he speaks there, i.e. calling the Saudis scary mother duckers, uh, the way he says, we know they kill Khashoggi, you know, so casually, the way he says that, we know they kill Khashoggi, we know they're horrible in human rights, we know they execute people over there for being gay. Uh, This is not in keeping 
with the language Phil Mickelson or other players use when they talk about this publicly. So I don't know what's happened here. I suspect Phil Mickelson will be horrified that these comments are public. Now, I don't doubt that Alan Shipnock is telling the truth when he says Mickelson at no point said to him, this is an off-the-record conversation. But they have been very close for a long time. This strikes me as a relationship where for a long time Mickelson said things that were not reported necessarily and he could speak candidly and therefore, you know, he, he, he might have thought, well, you know I'm off the record. I don't, I don't need to say this. We're just talking here. or I'm just giving you background for the book. Now, Shipnick will say, well, look, you never said off the record. I'm entitled to report it. And, you know, he does in this piece today include the link to get pre-orders in for his book. So uh, I think that relationship could suddenly be very, very frosty. Mm. Uh, indeed. I don't know what's happened there. They used to be very close. I don't think they're close after today, that's for sure. But the comments are incredibly damaging for Mickelson. And like they make a mockery of all the golfers who say things like growing the game and any other Rolodex of terrible excuses for getting involved with the Saudis. Like to call them scary mother duckers, to basically say they're awful people, but to say I can leverage them against the PGA Tour and you know, as you rightly point out, uh, nobody sees the PGA Tour players as indentured slaves here. They're doing rather well. Like, nobody's going to be on Mickelson's side. And, you know, Alan Shipnock speculates later in this piece. He, he asks, are Mickelson's grievances with the PGA Tour fueled by money or principle? Now, he says with Mickelson, you can never be sure. But he then follows that up by saying, Mickelson sold his private jet in 2019 and includes a quote from someone saying, he loved that plane so much, it was like a fourth child to him. I was shocked he sold it. The only reason I could possibly imagine him doing that was he's feeling serious financial pressure, end quote. So this is all swirling around Phil. Um, I, I look forward to his next interview. I'm not sure when he's playing next, Nathan. But um, like I said, I do think he will be uh, sending the letters WTF to Alan Shipnock today by text. Well, you say the PGA Tour players aren't exactly endangered slaves. Phil Mickelson says the tour likes to pretend it's a democracy, but really... It's a dictatorship. Yes, well, what better way to stick it to a dictatorship like the PGA Tour than to go hang out with the Saudis, huh? Mm. Uh, he, he did admit what we all sort of suspected. Like, the PGA Tour players have benefited massively already from the Saudi interest because, as Mickelson said, the Saudi money has finally given us that leverage. And the players have seen huge increases in prize money announced a couple of months back so the minimum prize fund goes from 10 to 12 million there's an extra 5 million on the players championship the FedEx which was already obscene amount of money has increased and it's going to keep increasing between now and 2025 at the very least we mentioned that PIP which is basically the top 10 players get 40 million a year to spread between themselves uh, depending on how much exposure they get and how much popularity they can show they have so it is money for old rope that they're getting and a lot of the players I think have used it as leverage Phil Mickelson seems to be only the one the only one who's admitted it publicly and something that's been touched upon a lot with Mickelson Joe over the last while is like he is exceptionally keen to always be seen as the smartest guy in the room yeah and he's definitely gone big on NFTs and he wants the PGA Tour to hand over all the digital assets he says they're sitting on. He says it's worth 20 billion and how dare they make me pay to use my shots. You know, he, like he's, you know, he, he thinks of his shot from the pine straw at Augusta as his intellectual property and how dare I have to pay like a million dollars to get to use that in certain arenas or on, and through um, certain on certain platforms you know so he's big on that and I'd say there's people in his ear talking about hey Phil these NFTs you know in the clubhouse after around these NFTs a lot of money to be made and Phil's eyes are 
are lighting up here. Like my favorite quote of the whole thing is where he says to Shipnook, I'm not even sure I want the Saudi Golf League to succeed. <laughs> you know, he's just like, oh, it's, I mean, I, I mean, the, the sweet spot of this would be if the Saudis now say, um, Phil, you can't call us scary mother effers and, and say you don't even want us to succeed and think we're still going to hand you like $100 million. Jog on, it's over. Um, but this, um, as, a, as a final one for me on all this, um, this, as you said, does seem to be happening. Basically, they have 20 players signed up. That's what they need. And they're going to have maybe 14 events across the year. They're going to announce it, as you said, with the players, the flagship event at the PGA Tour. Uh, Ten of the events, according to a couple of journalists now who are on the story, will be in the U.S. So, And it's an Asian tour. You know, you can qualify for all the majors via the Asian tour. They've been clever by going in through like a reputable pre-existing tour. So suddenly, you know, the, the, the difficult thing for the PGA Tour now is across 10 to 14 weeks of the year, if they're clever about when they stage their events, you could have this Saudi Golf League with Bryson DeChambeau against Phil Mickelson in a playoff on primetime TV in Florida, 20 miles down the road from a, a PGA Tour event that doesn't have a lot of the big names for whatever reason. And, you know, they can, bloody hell, they can give it away to terrestrial TV free all over the world. They're not in this to make money. So um, judging by McElroy and others' comments uh, this week at Riviera, where they came out really strongly against this, they struck me as a group who realized this is real and the talk is over and this thing's about to go and I'm surprised I, I never thought this thing would really get off the ground but I think we're headed for liftoff now which is amazing yeah and I think we're going to know an awful lot more over the next couple of weeks it really does feel like it's coming to a head and we'll get some proper names and some proper plans in place uh, if you want to hear a lot more on that with Shane Ryan who's a brilliant American golf journalist on alongside Peter Laurie and uh, we got a good 90 minutes up on otbsports.com forward slash golf weekly you can subscribe to all that you get it every Thursday lots of good interviews coming up as well over the next little while uh, let's get into the news round then Richie 53106 is the text and we've got any thoughts on that the news round brought to you with thanks to Gillette put your best face forward with our new and improved razors where are we starting uh, Storm Eunice, it could wreak havoc with the opening weekend of the SSE or Tristy League. The Premier Division games at both Finn Harps and Sligo Rovers are subject to pitch inspections on Friday and Saturday morning, respectively. Tomorrow's first division meeting of Bray Wanderers and Cork City, also subject to a 10am inspection. Yeah, this is uh, not what anybody in the League of Ireland needs on the opening night of the season, where you get a crowd in, you entertain them and you keep them going back week after week and... Yeah, either way, the weather tomorrow doesn't look like it's going to be the most advertising for getting people out and about, but hopefully people still get to games and hopefully everything and the storm isn't quite as bad as uh, is predicted, but uh, yeah. Nathan, will this affect the running of the Nathan Murphy Friday phone-in? That's the, Absolutely that's not. the big question out there. <laughs> Absolutely not. Nothing will uh, stop the running of the Nathan Murphy Friday night phone-in unless my wine bottle or opener doesn't work and uh, I have to you know, look elsewhere for entertainment of a Friday evening. Uh, yeah, thanks for bringing it up, Joe, while we're getting the plugs in. So uh, we tried this last Friday night. I mentioned it previously. It is a sort of phone-in type thing. It's on the Off The Ball Twitter page. So if you follow Off The Ball on Twitter, you will see tomorrow night from 10 o'clock that we're talking League of Ireland, myself, Johnny Ward and Shane Keegan. Uh, we're going to be looking back on the opening night and you can take part as well. So there's a button there. You just press it and say you want to talk and you can come in and give your opinion like the old-fashioned Five Live, Premier League Live phone in. Oh, uh, keep I mean, it clean. Keep it clean. Phoning in. I'm phoning in. Long time, first time. I'm coming at you tomorrow. Brilliant. Brilliant. I look forward to it, Joe. Bring I'm your... going to have some thoughts on Duffer's Shelburne on the telly. Yeah, be the first man to criticise Duffer's Shelburne and see how that goes for you. Yeah, 
Uh, how, I mean, Duffer, despite all his best efforts, is just going to be box office every week, uh, full houses at his press conferences, always just interesting. He can't help it, even though he doesn't want to do it. I think that's the best part of it, Richie, isn't it? That yeah. he doesn't want to be box office, but by not wanting to be, he's becoming even more so. Yeah, people who've, who've, who've taken that stance and say, I don't want to be box office, I don't want to be a pundit, I don't want to do this, I don't want to do that, like invariably end up being the exact thing just by dint of, the, of their you know recalcitrance uh, they end up being that thing uh, look at Roy Keane uh, he never wanted to be a pundit he is the pundit in the UK at the moment uh, similarly Damien Duff will be the voice of uh, the League of Ireland whether he wants to be or not and do you know it would be great to have him there because he'd be a fresh he'd be a fresh pair of eyes and fresh pair of ears on the league essentially even though he's worked with Rovers for the past while to Get in, involved, getting his, his fingers, uh, fingernails dirty uh, in the, the nitty gritty of things week in and week out is, is going to be quite something to see. I do think one of the big differences between a Duff and a Keane is that, as you say, Joe, his press conferences will be packed. He won't entertain conversation around anything that's not Shelburne. No. And I think no. his reluctance at the moment is understandable because when a Damien Duff, a player, a figure of the profile of Damien Duff comes in, it's very easy for people in marketing teams and uh, the League of Ireland to get excited and think we've almost got ourselves a little mascot here we've got somebody we can put out in front as the main selling point for the League of Ireland and we're going to put him in front of every microphone going and he's going to sell the league and people are going to come in because Damien Duff is here and Duff rightly is saying I'm the manager of Shelburne like I have a job to do here I need to keep this team in the Premier Division for starters I take myself seriously I'm taking this job seriously yeah, no, I, I agree with all that and he's entitled to it. Do you know what, though? I hope he leans into it a little bit. I hope he understands people will be very interested in him and he is box office. And, and to be fair, the interviews he's done this week, did one with Ashley in our show and, and various others, like that gets me a bit more excited about Friday. So, look, I don't want him to become a pantomime. I don't think any of us would think it's right if we just go to Damien to press conferences to ask him for his opinion on what happened Mourinho last night or what happened Chelsea this week or what do you make of the FAI this week. But, uh, you know, him being box office about the league and, and, and selling it a touch, you know, no harm. I, I Very interesting, Shelburne's um, attendance figures across the season. I think there's going to be well, a Well, it's a, a sellout goal. tomorrow night. I, I they're, bet. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. They're hamstrung a little bit by, by Tolka. I can't remember who added up the other day, but there's certain stands are closed off, including the new one over by the, the uh, so-called new one over above the dressing room. So there is a limit, I think, on how many they can get in. Right. Off the top of my head, it says 4,000. Four or five thousand. Um, well, I think it's in round four. Um, that should be the, the the upper end of what they can expect to get in mm. for the time being. Anyway, hopefully that changes throughout the season. Yeah, I guess it's a similar situation to Bowles, Richie. That there's the good news oh, yeah. story of it's sold out, but actually, when you go to the ground, there's large sections of the ground that can't be used. Yeah, three, three. Well, yeah, two, two and a bit sections really of, of Daily Mail can't be used, and like they put a, f- a limited number of general sale tickets on sale at Daily Mount for the first two home games of the season, and like it, it mean it, it meant a limited amount, and they're gone. So the first two games are sellouts, but then again, you're only going to have the Jody and a bit of the school end that are going to have. Uh, fans in them um, and they just they need, for Shelburne's sake and for Bo's sake they need to get that new stadium built uh, sooner rather than later If you do want to go to Talca Park tomorrow night or you want to go to Tala we have tickets to give away on the football show for both Shells against Pats and Shamrock Rovers against UCD so that's coming up after 9 o'clock Dan McDonnell and Stewie Byrne will be alongside me in studio uh, Pat and Rahini is serving it straight Phil Mickelson has to be the most self-serving and reprehensible person ever in professional sport and that's saying something. He's not even in the top 100, and that is saying something. He's getting there, though, isn't he? 
Yeah, no, he's doing his best. <laughs> like he's he's really he's really like trying to tarnish his legacy at, at quite a pace, you know. Because Phil would have been probably the most popular golfer. I know Tiger had obviously the supreme popularity because of his absolute greatness, but there was a warmth towards Phil yeah. that is evaporating he was, rapidly. He was the he was the natural successor to Arnold Palmer. You know, this was kind of his his thing, and then the win last year, the major. Although he you know he was starting to you know, fray around the edges even uh, last year in terms of reputation, but you know there was still such an outpouring. Um, but yeah, so. it does just feel maybe it is the money, as you say, selling the private jet. He's lived in San Diego all his life. He's moving to Florida now uh, with the family because you know taxis upset. As it says in the article, you know tax may not be the number one thing he thinks about every day, but it's two, three, four, and five. So yeah. he's heading to Florida to live there. He's having the mother and father of midlife crisis, like it, it, the sunglasses, the coffee drinking. Yeah. What are you doing? Someone just needs to take him aside and say. Phil, you're Phil Mickelson. You don't need all this. Yeah, there's a real degree of dude. You're good. Like it's, it's you know, you there's no, just just chill now and just um, enjoy the next 30, 40 years. I don't know what he's at. Like he's made a hundred million dollars in PGA Tour wins alone. It's before we talk about the endorsements, which must be a multiple of that. What else you got for us, Richie? Lots of rugby bits going on today. Uh, Keith Earls remains a doubt for Ireland's remaining Six Nations games. The winger missed the Wales and France matches with a hamstring injury. And Munster senior coach Stephen Larkham said today that Earls isn't expected back in the short term. Prop Dave Kilcoyne, meanwhile, will make a 200th Munster appearance in tomorrow night's URC meeting with Edinburgh. Craig Casey, Dan Goggin and Calvin Nash also come into the team. Uh, while Josh van der Flyer signed a new contract at Leinster, his teammates Kieran Frawley and Ed Byrne also put pen to paper on extensions today. And it's believed that South Africa have informed the Southern Hemisphere is going governing body that they're exploring the option of joining the Six Nations. South Africa Rugby signed a new deal with Sanzar this week, tethering them to the Rugby Championship until 2025, but they've been involved with Six Nations stakeholders CBC about potentially joining the competition once that deal expires. Joe, everyone seems to be in agreement that Italy isn't working in the Six Nations, but also have massive reservations about a change like this to the Six Nations because almost every alteration and there have been dozens of them in recent years to the rugby calendar appear to have been a negative yeah have taken something away rather than adding something yeah it's uh, like the, the only thing though is tough isn't it 34 straight games no win he's going backwards the first decade they were competitive and then there was a less good five years and like it's just gone to pieces since 2015 which is now more than five years isn't it so the big issue with the Italy games is there's even not a hint of jeopardy even if we could just get back to a stage where there was an Italy win every three years you know just that sense it's possible but at the moment it doesn't feel like it's possible like I look I've misgivings about South African rugby for a whole bunch of reasons and the great thing about the Six Nations is no one dominates like South Africa could (laughs) They could start dominating, you know. They could, they could really um, be be very, very, you know, difficult winning it. Uh, you could see them winning three years out of five, nearly. But, but that aside, look, there is a part of you when you take last weekend. The Scotland Wales game was amazing, in its own kind of way. It was tight and tense and all that. The France Ireland game was an epic. Mm. Like, can you imagine if the next day it was England versus South Africa? I mean, phew. because at the moment the Six Nations is two games and the Italian game. That's a weekend. That, and, and we kind of we're okay with that but um, you throw South Africa in and there's, there's literally never a bad game 
So um, I don't know, like 2025, that's when the next TV rights deal is up. It feels like it's coming. Like it does feel like it's coming. I, how much longer do you give the Italians? Or do you just, is it fine? Do you just keep, are you, would you, do you mind it just keep going on like this? Is it part of the tradition? Someone hockeys Italy, it's fine. Yeah, there's no real right answer to this unless you go back to a five nations and the one thing that is most certainly not going to happen in rugby is have less games. No, the gap week is terrible. No one wants to go back to the gap week. Mm. Like you t- Ireland, if Ireland, if Ar- if that was the case now, Ireland wouldn't have a game in, like in four weeks, you know. So, um, I don't know. Uh, would you want South Africa in? I, I just haven't seen any improvement from their involvement in any of the competitions so far. And that this is a different beast because it's you're getting yeah. the very best of the best. But even the logistics of it, I know it's the same time zone, but can you, you know, you have to work the calendar there so that maybe this is, you have a week off before you go to South Africa, so there's the mm. travel time, them yeah. coming up, do they play the games back to back? It changes all the history, the tradition, but obviously CBC have made a massive investment in rugby and the way of constantly increasing the value of the TV rights is by adding a little bit of stardust and South Africa can do just that so maybe money will talk and it'll happen it's obviously a couple of years away uh, anyways uh, Richie just on the football tonight uh, yeah. quite a game in Dortmund yeah, it's quite a, it's a couple of decent games uh, already underway or into the, the final few minutes. But as you mentioned there, it's now Borussia Dortmund 2, Rangers 4. Alfredo Morelos has scored twice for Giovanni Van Bronckhorst's side. Rafael Guerrero has struck in the past couple of minutes to reduce the deficit to 2. No Erling Haaland for Dortmund tonight. Uh, he has a muscle injury that's keeping him out for the next uh, couple of weeks. But that would be quite the result uh, for the Scottish champions. Elsewhere, it's Barcelona 1, Napoli 1. A Ferran Torres penalty for Barca, cancelling out Pieter Zielinski's early goal for Napoli Betis are 3-2 up 0-8-2 Zenit St. Petersburg and Sheriff Tiraspol are 1-0 up at home to Braga there's action of course in the conference league tonight Liam Scales and James McCarthy both on the bench for Celtic as they entertain one of the competition surprise packages this year Bodo Glimt have already caused headaches for Jose Mourinho and Roma while Leicester they entertain the Danes of Randers and both of those games are underway at 8 o'clock Alright Richie great stuff as always Nice one Joe enjoy the weekend Likewise, cheers, brother. So, football show coming up after nine. Uh, we'll be talking to Dan McDonald's Stewie Byrne ahead of the start of the League of Ireland season. We've Ursula Jacob ahead of the Camogie semi-finals after eight o'clock, and also Sonny Bill Williams feature interview coming with him after eight as well. John Giles is up next.